You're listening to Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church of Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to follow us online, please go to gracecc.net. That's gracecc.net. And thanks for joining us. I feel like a teacher kind of waiting for the class to stop talking so we can get going, and that is not, not the vibe we're after here. We love the fact that you enjoy each other and that you're, you're experiencing some community together. So again, welcome to all of you this morning. Some of you I haven't had a chance to meet, and I know you're newer here. My name is Jay. I'm the lead pastor. And again, on behalf of everyone around you, welcome. We're so glad you're here. We're about loving God, loving people, reaching people, and developing people for Him. That is our mission. And we just want to spend just a little bit of time inviting you into some of that. And very deliberately, we want to equip you with some information that we hope, will, that we hope is helpful to you. And that is uh, our website, gracecc.net, is a great way to stay connected to what's going on around here. This is our homepage. In that upper right-hand corner, you click on that events button, and that takes you to a number of things that are taking place here in in the life of our church. The first that's kicking off again this fall is our small groups, our communities at Grace. You know, when we gather together here on Sunday morning, um, this is invaluable in so many ways because knowing Jesus as your Lord and Savior, experiencing Him in your life is something you do individually, but it's also something you do corporately, that you do in community. We discover Him together, and that's especially true in a small group. That's such a great way for you to not only build community and build relationships, but also, though, to, to, to grow in Christ together. In fact, there's a dimension of your own spiritual development, your own intimacy with Christ that you will not experience unless you're with other people. And so we want to encourage you to consider signing up for a community group. They meet all over town here at many different times during the weeks. We have one for you. And in particular, there are some of you who are newer in this relationship with the Lord and in knowing Him and learning about Him. And we have a group specifically designed for some of you who would like to, to either start out or even to return to some of, some of the basics of what it means to know and love Jesus Christ. How do you lead your Bible? Read your Bible. How do you pray? How do you recognize God's Holy Spirit in your life? We have a group designed as as a small group to, to look at some of this stuff. It's part of our community groups. If you're interested in that, for those of you here in the room, when you head out, if you want to stop by our kiosks, you can sign up for one of these groups, or you can sign up for that group as well. Just let us know. Okay, pulling forward. You can see there's a bunch of other stuff there. Let's go to the next thing we're going to talk about, and that is our women's event. You're going to hear us continue to talk a lot about this reality and necessity of discipleship, of becoming more like Jesus. And one of the forms of that is mentorship. It's one-on-one -on -one or even in a, a group of two or three folks. And so at our women's gathering here um, in the fall, um, on September 23rd, I guess it is fall, right? Um, we're going to be steering into that together. I guess our ladies are. So we want to encourage you to sign up for that, ladies, and you can register for that right there. And then finally, we have a number of things that we do in the community here and a number of very practical needs that we meet in the name of Jesus Christ. And one of those things that we do is called Backpack Blessing. You've heard us mention it in passing in previous weeks. But basically, we're able to provide food for 37 students um, from East Gresham Elementary and from 20 students or families from um, Hogan Cedars. And what this is, is there's a number of kids right here in our neighborhood and in our community who on the weekends, because both parents work or, or maybe it's a single parent household or whatever the case may be, 
there isn't always an adult present and there isn't always food available. And so we, we go out and buy these things for these backpacks. They get distributed at East Gresham by the school to the kids or families who need them the most. And we do this on a weekly basis. And for years, we've prayed for the opportunity to expand this. And in recent years, we've been able to, to expand now to Hogan Cedars as well. So we're very excited about this, very glad we get to do this. We're looking for folks to join this team who would help um, purchase food, pack backpacks. And out at the kiosk in the lobby, Jacob Hansen will be there. You just go around the corner and uh, he would love to answer your questions about this and let you know how you can be a part. And one of the things that we do as a church family when we gather to worship is as an act of worship, we choose to give some of our resources as a worship response to God. And as we pool those resources together, that's what gives us the ability to do things like backpack blessings. So thank you so much for your faithful giving to the mission and vision here at Grace. Many of you know that we began a brand new budget on um, September um, of this month, September 1st. And so... We would encourage you, if you call Grace home and you're not yet consistently giving to the mission and vision, that you would join us in doing that. Because Backpack Blessings is one of the ways that those resources go right out the door and into our community. So let me, let me thank God for this time to be together and for all that he gives us. So Lord, thank you that everything we have does come from you. And I thank you for this church family. I thank you for their faithfulness to you for their love for you, for their love for one another, for their love for our community. And Lord, we want the hope of the gospel to be so tangible and clear. And we're grateful that just one of the many ways that we can express that is, is helping families who need food and who, who just, who need someone to steer into that and provide. And we're able to do some of that here. And we're so grateful for that. And Lord, we give back to you now because everything we have comes from you. And giving back a portion of what you've entrusted to us reminds us that you not only provide for us, but that you're so good. And we ask that you use these resources to bless others the way we have been blessed. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay. Well, some of you, probably most of you, were with us last Sunday. And we continue on through the Gospel of John together. And we talked about Jesus' trial last Sunday. And if you'll remember, to, to start our time in the Word there, um, in the spirit of it being football season, told you a football story of someone who um, had come through our doors many years ago and who was, you know, quite famous. And this is his picture, Jerry Rice. So I thought we'd return to this because we need to set the record straight here. So I had the right team and the right era of Super Bowls but the wrong side of the ball and therefore the wrong person. Jerry Rice, to my knowledge, has never come to grace. It wasn't Jerry Rice. It was this guy. It was Ronnie Lott, the cornerback for the San Francisco 49ers. So, you know, imagine my surprise when um, later on Sunday I get a, a text from someone who says, bro. <laughs> I don't think it was Jerry Rice. I think it was Ronnie Lott because there's someone who's been here a long time like I have and they were absolutely right. So, okay, we've set the record straight, okay? Ronnie Lott came through our doors at one point. Fair enough. Enough of that. So there's this story told of this guy who was, who was shipwrecked. Think, you know, a la Tom Hanks and, you know, Castaway. Shipwrecked on this island, and, you know, he barely escapes with his life, washes ashore, and so here he is. He's marooned. There's, there's no one around. And so he 
begins to just do what any one of us would do and try to figure out how am I going to survive. So he builds this, this little hut out of just some, some sticks and wood and builds some shelter, and he decides to see if he can get a fire going, and miraculously he does. He gets a fire going, and so then he goes to look for food. And he goes and looks for food, and all of a sudden, as he's quite a distance away from where he'd built this hut, he, he looks over there, and there's a large plume of smoke, smoke beginning to rise, and it's getting bigger. And he thought, okay, I didn't make the fire that big. He runs back, and imagine what he thinks and what he feels as he runs out through these trees to the beach and sees this little hut that he had built completely engulfed in flames. Somehow, uh, maybe a breeze had kicked up and it had blown some embers from the fire onto the hut, but all this work he'd put in, everything he had done is now, it's now going up in smoke. Things have gone from bad to worse. I don't know about you, but that's what it's like, at least what it's been like for me, as we've journeyed through these, this series in the Gospel of John, especially the last several weeks. We've been looking at the last 24 hours of Jesus' life and Jesus is, is wrongly and unfairly accused. He's unjustly arrested. He's interrogated. Last week we looked at his, his trial. And now he's been sentenced. And now he's going to die. And he's going to be crucified. And I'm sure some of you are thinking, boy, so glad I came to church today. You know, to focus on the crucifixion of Jesus. And a dark story is, is, is going to get darker. And yet there is, there is such a tangible, clear hope. And there's so many tangible, life-changing realities in this passage that we're going to look at today. So once again, I'd like to ask God to, to open his word to us as we open his word together and just ask him to speak to us. So Lord, again, we come to you and ask that as we open your word now, that through the power of your Holy Spirit, you would make it come alive to us. You would help us to understand you better, to be more like you, to be more willing to trust and obey you and to follow you even when it's difficult. Lord, would you help us to see the hope that is all throughout this story? And would we make it our own this morning? And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to pick up right where we left off last week. So Jesus has been tried, convicted. And this is what happens. So finally, Pilate handed him over to them, to the, to the Roman soldiers, to be crucified. And carrying his own cross, he, Jesus, went out to the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. And there they crucified him. And with him, two others, one on each side and, and Jesus in the middle. Pilate had a notice prepared and fastened to the cross, and it read, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this sign, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and the sign was written in Aramaic, Latin, and Greek. The chief priests of the Jews protested to Pilate, do not write the king of the Jews, but that this man claimed to be the king of the Jews. Pilate answered, what I've written, I have written. When the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes, divided them into four shares, one for each of them, with the undergarment remaining. This garment was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. Let's not tear it, they said to one another. Let's decide by lot who will get it. This happened that the scripture might be fulfilled that said, they divided my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. So this is what the soldiers did. 
Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. And when Jesus saw his mother there, and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, Woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. And from that time on, this disciple took her into his home. So let's begin to work our way back through that passage. It says that the soldiers took charge of Jesus, and there's this feel of inevitability, like there's, there, this is going to happen. There's no turning back. He, he is going to die. And it, this just, I don't know if you felt like this, but just reading this, in fact, this, this story the last several weeks, it feels like a bad movie that you just can't take your eyes off of, or a car wreck that you're watching that you know is about to happen, and you want to turn away, and you can't. And it says, here he is, he's carrying his cross, which was, again, a common method of this whole process of torture and humiliation. And the other gospels tell us he was so weakened by being beaten and and just everything that had already been done to him that, that he had to have help carrying it. So here's Jesus beaten, bloodied, carrying his cross. And of course, he's headed to a crucifixion now. And the crucifixion was horrific and awful, just like we would expect it to be. Stripped of your clothes, naked, completely exposed, humiliated, and a pain so excruciating that there wasn't a word to describe it. In fact, the very word excruciating, if you go back and follow the linguistics of that, was created to describe the cross. Excruciation means at its root the the way of the cross, to somehow describe the pain and the awfulness. And the cross was designed to shame you. Guilt is, I've done something wrong. Shame is, I am wrong. And the cross amplified both. And it says that all this happened at the place of the skull, which was some, some, somewhere outside of, of old Jerusalem there. Now, I've been to Jerusalem and to Israel, and this is what they think might have been the site. If you look at that, and if you actually were to back up from this, I took it from the garden tomb on my cell phone, so I was kind of close to this, this, this mound, this hill. But if you back up from this, those, those two little caves there, actually, as you pull back, it actually looks like a skull. This, this hill is shaped like a skull. And there are some who believe that that's where Jesus's um, crucifixion happened. We don't know for sure. But, but the point is, it was outside the city. And that was significant. And there was very deliberate symbolism there for why they crucified people outside the city. Because outside the city is, is where you took thou, all that what was unclean. It's where dead bodies went. If there were animal sacrifices, it's where their bodies were thrown. And most of all, It's where you took the garbage. And all that is wrapped up in in the crucifixion here. And it says that there were two others who were crucified with him. The other gospels tell us they were two criminals. And and sometimes the translation is thieves. And that's that's a little unfortunate because it doesn't capture the depth of, of their offenses. You wouldn't be crucified for stealing something. You were crucified because you were a terrorist. You were an insurrectionist, not unlike Barabbas, who we looked at last week. You were a threat to the empire. You were someone they wanted to make an example of. In fact, the crucifixion was so horrific, a Roman citizen couldn't be crucified. But other people could. And so here you have these... These three men being, being crucified. And we read the Pilate had a notice prepared and fastened above the cross. Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. And again, 
as there has been throughout this entire story, there's all this irony swimming around. And here's some of the irony here. Pilate finally gives in to the Jewish leaders to placate them. They are demanding that Jesus had to be crucified. He knew Jesus was innocent multiple times. As we saw last week, he tried to free him. So Pilate literally got the last word in. He mocks them by having this sign made. And it's meant to devalue and demean Jesus, but even more so, it's meant to mock the Jews. And they get it. They pick up on this and they say, don't, don't write this man was king of the Jews. And what does Pilate say? Oh, did I do that? What's, what's the tone here? Sorry, not sorry, would be our translation today, right? I did that on purpose. Too bad, so sad. And it's written in three languages, the three most important languages. Aramaic was the language of the Jews. Latin was the language of the Romans. And Greek was the language of everybody. It was the trade language. So again, some more irony here. Here's Pilate seeking to demean and devalue Jesus, but especially to mock the Jewish leadership. And yet here's God declaring his glory in all languages for everyone to read and understand. As tragic as this is, this is, this is God bringing triumph out of tragedy. Really? This is God winning by, by losing. And maybe you've heard that before when it comes to the cross. But really? I mean, is that how the world works? That winning is really losing? Do any of us believe that? Seattle Seahawks fans, do you believe that? Because I don't. You know, the regular season started here for the NFL. Seattle played the Rams last Sunday. They were supposed to win. They lost and lost quite badly. Can you imagine Pete Carroll, the head coach of the Seahawks, at the press conference that followed later that day to say, yep, we won. How'd you win? We lost. And what would everyone say? He's a genius, right? No, they would say he's unemployed. Because the world doesn't work that way. You don't win by, by losing, right? That, that's not how life works. But could it be that the economy of God is different? That God is able to bring triumph out of tragedy. Hope out of failure. I mean, if we look at this through the lens of the disciples, Jesus dying was unbelievable. Jesus dying by crucifixion was absolutely unthinkable. Jesus himself in the gospel of Matthew and Matthew 26, if you'll remember when he was wrestling in prayer in the garden and praying to God and crying out to God, he said literally, is there any other way? And, and, and the father said, no, this is our way. And so Jesus said, your will is my way. Therefore, I will trust and obey. Can you say that? Will you and I say that? Not until we begin to understand the cross. And John reminds us, if you want to understand the cross and the crucifixion and what it means for, for you and me, how it is a part of God's divine rescue plan, if you want to really understand the New Testament, you got to go back to the old. And John actually does that here. Remember, he points out to us Psalm 22. When the soldiers are dividing Jesus' clothes, they're actually fulfilling prophecy. 
And John makes sure we understand that this happened that the scripture might be fulfilled that said, they divided my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. If you want to understand, or at least begin to understand, if I want to begin to understand the crucifixion, go back to the Old Testament and look at Psalm 22. It is all throughout this, this section of the story. So let's do that. What is, what is being referred to here? Well, this is Psalm 22, and this was written by David. Uh, and this all happened about a thousand years, 1,500 years, really, before Jesus was even born. And so David obviously is in crisis, and he says, my mouth is dried up like a pot shirt. What, what does that mean? And, and there's depth to that. It means he's thirsty, right? But this is not just talking about physical thirst. This is a euphemism in that language for spiritual thirst, Think of the psalm, Psalm 42, that declares, as a deer pants for water, so I pant for you, God. This is, this is desperate spiritual thirst. My tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. Look what he goes on to say. Dogs surround me, and this isn't physical dogs. That's, that's a way of talking about evil people. A pack of villains encircles me. They pierce my hands and my feet. All my bones are on display. People stare and gloat over me. And this is in green what was in our passage. They divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. What does this sound like? Does this not sound like a crucifixion? And it does. This is describing a crucifixion. Here's the problem. Crucifixion wasn't even invented when this was written. It wasn't invented until 300 years later when the Greeks began to practice it. The Romans were the ones who perfected it. It wasn't even invented yet. But John calls our attention to this because he wants us to understand that the cross was always a part of the divine rescue plan. That this was always God's intent was to use the cross as part of the divine rescue plan. And we started to dip our way into this last week. Remember, Jesus said, it has to be this way. What did Jesus say earlier in John? Remember John 18? Take him yourselves. This is Pilate saying, take him yourselves and you judge him by your own law. We have no right to execute anyone, they objected. This took place to fulfill what Jesus had said about the kind of death he was going to die. And now we'll jump further back into John where Jesus actually says, now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. He's talking about Satan. And I, when I am lifted up for the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. Still haven't answered the question, why is the cross an essential part of the divine rescue plan? Let's go back a thousand years to Isaiah and more prophecy about this. See, my servant will act wisely. He will be raised and lifted up and highly exalted. This is the suffering servant. This is a messianic figure. This was going to be the Messiah. And when it says he would act wisely, that's another way of saying whatever he do does will be done successfully. To act wisely meant he will be successful in what he's trying to accomplish here when he is lifted up and highly exalted. And then we jump back to the New Testament in Galatians where it says Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, 
Cursed is anyone who is hung on a pole. This is another quote from the Old Testament. Where is this? We jump back to Deuteronomy about 2,000 years back. If someone guilty of a capital offense is put to death and their body is exposed on a pole, you must not leave the body hanging on the pole overnight. Instructions here to the Jewish people. Be sure to bury it that same day because anyone who is hung on a pole is under God's curse. Now back to Galatians 3. He redeemed us. He rescued us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles, that's you and me, non-Jewish people, through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. Why is the cross an essential part of the divine rescue plan? It's because through the cross, Jesus removes the curse of sin through the curse of the cross. He had to be crucified. Because he didn't just die for himself. He died for all of us. I mean, remember the verses that we just walked through. Jesus himself said, when I am lifted up, I will draw all people to myself. How? How does that work? And scripture goes on to tell us that when he died, and it told us this actually in Galatians 3 that we just looked at, that he removes our sin by paying for it. And in return, he gives us his righteousness. 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made him who had no sin, Jesus was sinless, to be sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of, of God. Man, that is powerful truth. It talks about our position and how we relate to God once we know Jesus and have received him as our Lord and Savior. But it also talks about this practical empowerment that we get a new heart as described in the Old Testament in Jeremiah chapter 31, that we are a new creation. 2 Corinthians 5.17, if, if anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. It was the only way to remove your selfishness to remove my sinfulness was for Jesus to go to the cross and to be cursed by that because all that was placed on him. So then in return, we could have right relationship with God through knowing him and receiving him as our Lord and Savior. Knowing God isn't about trying harder. It's not about being a better person. It's not about empty religion that's all around us that tells us, oh, you get to God. All paths lead to God. No. No. The gospel is about not us getting to God, but a God who comes for us, who comes looking for us. Religion says you look for God. The Bible declares God has come looking for you. And you have to respond by receiving him into your life as your Lord and Savior. And if you do, the curse of sin, selfishness, making life all about us, the things that make us feel ashamed, the things that make us feel guilty, that gets removed and in its place because of the cross, we get the righteousness of God because Jesus didn't stay on that cross. He was buried and on the third day, he rose from the dead to fulfill the divine rescue plan. There was no other way. That was the way. And so you and I, for those of us who know and have received Jesus Christ into our lives, we don't live to earn his love. We live for Jesus because we have his love. 
And there's great news. There's even better news. You and I don't do this alone. Look what happens at the cross. So, as far as we can tell with how the Gospels are written, at this point, all the disciples have scattered except for John. John's the only male disciple of the 11 disciples who were left who is at the cross. And then there are these incredible examples of faith in these women. It's the trifecta of Mary's. Mary, the mother of Jesus, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. But Mary's sister is there. And she's named in other gospels. Her name is Salome, not Salami. Salome. I used to pronounce it Salami till I got corrected. Salome. And the gospels also inform us that John and James and Jesus most likely were cousins because John and James were the sons of Mary's sister. So if you can follow all that, look what happens here. So near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister Salome, Mary the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, John, he said to her, woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, to John, here is your mother. And from that time on, this disciple took her, took him, took her into his home. And this really is amazing because Jesus had brothers. Whose responsibility was it to care for their mom, who most likely was a widow at this point? Joseph, Mary's husband, drops out of the story of the Gospels not long after Jesus is born and begins to become into adulthood. And so many scholars believe he had died or passed away, you know, at this point. And so, so Mary's most likely a widow, and it fell to the oldest son to care for his mother by tradition and by culture, and that was Jesus. And many scholars believe Jesus started his ministry in his 30s because he spent all those years providing for and taking care of his mom. But now he's dying. And again, as we do some, some spiritual math and looking at the Gospels, Jesus' brothers who did come to believe in him didn't do so till well after his resurrection. So at this point, his brothers don't believe. And so he turns, he turns to his disciple, John, and says, here is your mother, woman, here is your son. Even as he is dying, here is Jesus still thinking about other people and still loving those with him. It's an incredibly beautiful picture, but it shows us that there's a reality, a larger reality that takes place through the cross. The crucifixion actually creates a new family, not just John and Mary in this, in this relationship now that Jesus is passing on to them, them to one another, but us to one another. Jesus gives the gift of family to his, to his mom. But there is a bond that happens when you and I choose to receive Jesus Christ in how we relate to one another. There's a bond of belief, a bond that even goes beyond blood. You hear that phrase all the time, blood is thicker than water. Well, belief is thicker than blood. If you know Jesus Christ, you have entered into a new family. And what we saw happen at the cross really happens for all those who choose to believe. You become part of a much larger family. And, it, and it's beautiful. It's, it's powerful. 
and it's ours to have. Why do we encourage you to be in community? Why do we encourage one another to be in smaller groups? Because we're family. Because we discover God together. Because we do life together. You and I have a bond together that in many ways is a deeper bond than I have with my own blood family. Because of Jesus Christ. Because of what he's done for us. And you know, our vision here at Grace has always been to be an intergenerational family. That, that's always been our, our vision here. We want all generations, all ethnicities, everybody represented here, especially from, from our community. And we want to be connected to one another and helping one another grow in Jesus. And again, that's that whole reality of discipleship. And in this day and age, in this season of our church, in this life stage, um, there's a number of us who are classics. And I, yeah, praise the Lord for that. Yes, amen. There's two of us here. It's great. So, but this is a brand new ministry that's kicked off that, that is looking for ways to connect our classics to, to, to one another, but also to other generations in the church. If you're a classic, and we won't put a number on that, but if you're a classic, you're golden. And you're not a golden oldie. You are a gold mine. How much wealth of life experience and wisdom and spiritual depth do folks who are classic have? A lot. And do you know who needs that wisdom, that life experience, that depth? I do. And so do you. You know, it, I have been susceptible to this in the various stages of my life. But there are many predictable, consistent pressures, challenges, joys, frustrations, opportunities in each season and stage of life. And, and the incredible blessing in reality is there's always someone who is ahead of you and me who we can learn from, who we can glean wisdom from, who truly has been there and who gets it. But somehow in our arrogance, and I put myself in this category at times, in our pride, we think it's just all about us and that we don't have any more to learn or there's, there's not something to be gleaned. And it's just not true. Do you know what one of the first things I'm going to do on my sabbatical is when it starts this next week? I'm going to begin meeting with a succession of mentors of men who have shaped me through the course of my life, all of them ahead of me in life stage, because I want to glean from them. I want to learn from them. I want to download from them. And I am the product of probably over a dozen men who out different courses of my life have mentored me and I've learned from and have been able to say, you know, you ever go through this? Oh yeah, totally. Of course you're going through that. That's what happens in that stage of life. Well, well how did you navigate this? Well, it, and that's, that's where it begins. But that is a gold mine of wealth. Why in the world would I not access that? Why in the world would not you? But this isn't just about our classics investing into those who are coming behind them. This is about our younger generations as well. 
We want to be an intergenerational church. And we have some growing and development to do in getting more of our younger generation here at Grace and getting them connected. You know, tonight we have a young adults ministry that um, meets every other Sunday night. They're meeting tonight. If you're in from 18 to 20-ish somewhere, you're a welcome part of this group. We'd love to connect you to it after the service. Go out, hit one of our kiosks, and we'll, we'll get you connected. But, man... We have a great group of, of young adults, a great community here, but we'd like to see it grow. And there's always something to be learned from those younger than us as well. Because sometimes we get in this mentality that, you know, okay, well, I can give, but, but we all need discipleship, do we not? We all have something that we can learn from one another because we're a family. And so my appeal to you, my, my request to you would be, will you please pray for us as a church and pray for us as a leadership as we continue to wrestle with figuring out how do we more meaningfully create systems and ways and communities for us to disciple one another and be engaged in one another's lives. That is what's coming for us in this next season. You know, at Vision Sunday in June, we talked about we want to go deeper and we want to go wider. We want to go deeper with the gospel. We want to go wider with the gospel. We want to be more deliberate in introducing people to Jesus. But we also want to go deeper in Jesus. And discipleship is how we're going to do that. So how are we going to do that? I don't know, but we're going to figure it out. And we're on our way to doing that. So stay tuned. But as we're talking about this value of family, I was reminded of, of something that that happened yesterday. I mean, it was right in front of me, and it was just one of those defining divine moments where I thought, well, there it is. This is exactly what we're talking about tomorrow morning. So my hour, Jamie's and my youngest daughter flew in this weekend. She flew out this morning. Jamie just got back from taking her to the airport. But Kalia came in for her, for her wedding shower with friends and, and family. And I, I've had to be careful because there are a few times I've been talking about it and I've called it the baby shower. Let's not be hasty, right? That's mm, not yet. Bridal shower, not baby shower, wedding shower. And so we were talking about going into it, just what a joy and how enriching it was because it was, it was a conglomeration of all these different relationships. It's, it's blood relatives. It's, it's um, from both sides of the family, um, from, from our side and from her fiance Luke's side and um, family friends who have been a part of Kalia's life forever and, and folks like you and folks from our previous church. And there was one person in particular who was there and I thought, there it is. This is a picture of the family of Jesus Christ. She is not a blood relative, but she might as well be. She adopted Jamie and I years ago. We knew her from our previous church. And she's just a wonderful, wonderful person. And she very deliberately has taken um, a lot of interest in our kids as they've grown up. I mean, when we came here 18 years ago, our kids were all little guys. And she's been engaged and involved in their lives that she's come over for dinner and through the years and and when it came to figure out who was going to be at this wedding shower, she, she was one of the first names. She's kind of an aunt to my kids, but not a blood relative. But there's a bond that we have through Jesus Christ that, that is beautiful and that is, and that is powerful. And here it was. It was a defining moment yesterday as I'm trying to help get ready for this party and it happens, and then I show back up, and I see her, and I go, of course she's here. 
because she's family. Because of the bond we have through, through Jesus Christ. We're, we're a family. Because of the cross. The cross, Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection has, has given us a bond and a connection that we can't get anywhere else. And it's pretty awesome. But in and of itself, you look at this story and it's, and it's horrible. It's like this guy who builds this hut. I mean, he's, he's shipwrecked. And now he has no hope. His, his hut has burned to the ground and he's standing there watching it burn and he's in despair and he's going, now what do I do? And all of a sudden he sees a ship on the horizon and it gets closer and it gets closer and it's, he realizes it's coming for him. And they launch a little boat that comes out and picks him up and, you know, he's getting rescued and in the process of getting rescued, he's saying, how in the world, how in the world did you know I was here? How did you find me? And they said, oh, that's easy. We saw your smoke signal. Now, okay, kind of a cheesy story, but the reality is, is that not true of the cross? The cross looks like an absolute tragedy, and in many ways it is, and yet it is the triumph of God to bring the divine rescue plan through Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection to give us hope and to make us family. Jesus said, when I am lifted up, I will draw all people to myself. And he is doing that again here this morning. So will you and I respond? Worship team, will you come? And as we sing this, this initial opening song here about at the cross, will you think about the significance of what we've heard and what it means for you? What is the next step in the spiritual journey for you? For some of you, it is to receive Jesus. And you do that simply by asking him to come into your life as your Lord and Savior. For some of you, it's the realization that, you know what? I am part of a larger family here, but I don't act like it. I come and I go, but I, I don't meaningfully get engaged in any kind of community here. But you need to repent of that, quite honestly. There are lots of ways for you to find community here. It doesn't have to be through a community group. It doesn't even have to be through here, but... Will you act on that? And let's celebrate this God who, who makes us family together. Lord Jesus, thank you that at the cross, you removed our sin. You became a curse for us to take the curse of sin from us, to give us new life and hope, to call forth the image that you have put in every single one of us for us to be the people that you always have called and created us to be, people who love you, who know you, and who are family to one another. Thank you, Lord, for the cross. Thank you for what you've done in each of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 So if you're new to our church family, once again, welcome. We are really glad that you are here with us. And we want to invite you just to, as the service ends here, just right around the corner, um, out the doors to the back is our cafe. And we have some folks there who would love to just meet you, buy you the caffeine of your choice. 
and just get to know you a little bit. But we'd love to welcome you into our church family. That's called Next Steps. It's just right around the corner. And as you, as you leave this morning, as we dismiss you here in just a moment, we'll have our ushers standing at the back doors. For those of you who would like to give as an act of worship, they'll be available to do that. And then finally, I want to leave you with these words that we, that we read this morning and then prayed through at our um, worship circle this morning. This is out of 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Now listen to this. Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles, but to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Thank God for the cross, the hope that it brings and what it means for your life and for mine. Let me place blessing over us, Lord. I thank you again for each person who is here. Thank you that you took our shame, you took our guilt upon yourself so that we will never have to experience that. You took those with you to the cross. You became a curse for us so that the curse of sin might be removed and life and hope and joy and righteousness and purpose and eternity would be set before us. God, thank you so much for these realities. As we go from here, would we live lives that have been changed by your grace and by your faithfulness. Give us opportunity to give someone hope this week by what we say or by what we do. Thank you again that you were here with us. And all of God's people said, amen. amen. So go and live for him. Thank you for joining us for Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church here in Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to follow us online, please go to gracecc.net. That's gracecc.net.